Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. I'm so psyched for today's episode. It's kind of a game changer. We have our first couple doing couples lunch therapy. My friends Byron Lane and Stephen Rowley, both of whom are authors. Uh, Byron has a book that I just read called The Star is Bored, now out in paperback, which is based on his time working as Carrie Fisher's assistant. And it's such a good book. It's so funny and heartbreaking and specific and unique. And if you like Carrie Fisher, you're going to love the stories that Byron tells in his book. But it's not even just about that. It's about a lot more. So I recommend that. And then his husband, Stephen Rowley, is the author of not one, not two, but three novels, including a beautiful book called Lily and the Octopus. He has a second book, The Editor. And now he has a brand new book out called The Gunkle, which is blowing up. Um, I see it in every bookstore I've gone into this summer. And, uh, and it's getting great reviews. And I'm so lucky to have them on. Uh, and in today's session, we talk all about who does the dishes in their home. I, I think we're largely independent. That I is true. I use fewer dishes. Is that true? I feel like it. The dinner that they ate in Venice. It's under a mountain of rock salt. Yeah, like like hard rock salt. And they had to come by and crack it all open. It was a whole production. And Byron's tendency to binge on peanut butter. But it has re- required me to hide some food around the house. So without further ado, here is my couple's lunch therapy session with Byron Lane and Stephen Rowley. Well, guys, uh, thank you for being my first couple ever on Lunch Therapy. Yay! Are you nervous to have couples lunch therapy? <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Are you? I'm a little nervous because it's, you know, the therapy part is what gets me. Yeah. Well, I, love, I, re- I love therapy. I love therapy. Well, yeah. What if at the end of this, it's determined that we're not compatible to be together based on our lunches? Can you, is that something you can put like on your um, advertising? Oh, yeah. I broke up a couple because I analyzed their lunch. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like people. <laughs> That's a great ad. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, just so people know your voices, um, Byron, you can Hi. say this is Byron Lane. And Byron is the author of the book A Star is Bored, which is now out in paperback, which I just read and it was fantastic. Oh, thanks, Adam. I appreciate that a lot. And then we have Stephen, who is oh. Byron's husband. And Stephen has plenty of books, but he has a brand new book out called The Gunkle, which is in bookstores and hardcover. And it's, I just saw it at Book Soup in LA and it's taking the world by storm. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. It's been quite a summer. People yeah. Love it. So tell us about like, just so we can, you know, people can know, do you want, want to tell us quickly about like your books and how they're doing and what the story is and why people should buy them? So A Star is Bored is um, a novel inspired by the three years I was personal assistant to Star Wars actress Carrie Fisher. And it's the story of a celebrity assistant who's trying to manage his eccentric and wild movie star boss, um, the ups and downs of their friendship, the love that grows between them and some crazy antics along the way. Um, and uh, we got some great reviews from New York Times, LA Times. Um, and from me on Goodreads. I don't know if you saw it, but I read yes. a great review. Yeah, I'm I so loved grateful it. to you for that. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Yep, yes. Right. If, if readers aren't aware, that is so incredibly helpful to authors. They're just rating, uh, reviewing on both Goodreads and, and Amazon and, play, and sites like that. It really does help sort of trick the algorithms and help help people discover new authors. So. It's so funny because I, I'm sure you guys do this too, but do you, and Craig does this with his movies, but I, the, the bad reviews, like the like one sentence bad reviews are the ones you memorize and know forever. Mm-hmm. And the good reviews are the ones you forget. Of course. I've started when I take notes on calls about other projects and whatnot. Yeah. 
of writing the good stuff too. I used to just write the stuff I needed to work on. Yeah. yeah. Write the good stuff so I can go back and be like, oh, okay. It's so funny because I think it was with Craig's first movie. Like he can quote verbatim. Like I think it was like maybe like the Seattle Times like just read a bad review and he can literally recite it. For me, my my funniest one is like I did a Google talk when my cookbook came out and I wore a bow tie and somebody in the comments on YouTube said something about this guy makes me want to strangle him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you had a really good one. Oh, goodness. I just did a a sort of authors read one star reviews sort of thing that was on YouTube. It was like a Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets uh, sort of thing. But um, yeah, there was one about my my book the the editor that was just like oh goody another book about new york and i'm just like, what is wrong with new york you know that's like, really funny <laughs> there are endless stories for new york um you know in my first book lily and the octopus there was one about like a you know like a great the dog dies or something you know like i don't i don't something i couldn't care i couldn't care less about this about this dog oh my god this was my dog wait so steven tell everybody about the gunkle so they can go out and buy it yeah, so so to finish up, by, like a Star Wars board is just out in paperback, so great mm-hmm. time to pick it up. And the Gunkle just was published in hardcover uh, in May. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know, although I'm sure all lunch therapy listeners are cultured <laughs> enough to know that a Gunkle has become sort of very popular slang in the past five, 10 years for a gay uncle. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it has almost a slight connotation of um, larger than life personality kind of a an anti-mame kind mm-hmm. of character and, and uh so and certainly this story is is, is uh, you know meets that definition where patrick o'hara who is a retired television star living in palm springs is tasked with taking in his niece and nephew for the summer after a family tragedy and it sort of brings about a season of healing for all three of them did you name him Patrick because the author of Anti Mame is named Patrick? I did. Good. That was good. Yeah, huh? Right up on that. So, so smart. smart. Yeah. Thank in you. honor of Patrick Dennis, who wrote uh, Anti Mame. I'm proud of myself. That was a very good connection that I made. Well, that's, a, that's a 1955 <laughs> novel. And you yeah. pulled that I think I out. have it. Um, well, I am so proud of you both as your friend. It's so cool to see people be successful at what they're doing. And I, I get so excited whenever I see your books in bookstores. So, this is the nice part of the of the interview. We're about to like put you on the table. I'm gonna like cut open your brains and put you <laughs> out there. Uh, but um, before we get to that, though, I wanted to ask you because this is like the classic question when two creative people are married to each other. You know, there was F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald who famously feuded and like wanted to kill each other and were drunk all the time. <laughs> so, what's it like being two novelists working together and being married at home? I think uh, we're pretty lucky. I think I I feel great about it. Um, <laughs> I feel great about it. I, I think we both uh, we both kind of go into our own spaces and mm-hmm. we write during the day and we kind of uh, meet at lunchtime and sometimes we pitch ideas and okay. plots and uh, and also there's an element of um, shorthand when it comes to stress or uh, or you know when you're you're trying to figure out a, a story problem. Um, the other one kind of gets a sense of, of the headspace you're in, you know? So you bring, so do you actually bring the content that you're working on into your relationship and like, say like, I'm up to this chapter where such and such happens and I don't know what to do. Steve was just now walking through the kitchen shouting, uh, 
page 72. <laughs> 72. Yeah. So, I, yeah, we do that. I actually like it. I think, you know, a lot of people assume it would be a nightmare. And yeah, there are like um, professional jealousies sometimes and other issues to work through. But for the most part, like our house is quiet and that mm -hmm. is conducive to uh, creativity in a way, you know, particularly this past year over the pandemic and suddenly like, you know, partners are faced with sharing workspace and not just homes oh, yeah. with each other. Like, I don't know how my writer friends who are married to like high powered attorneys or <laughs> corporate executives who are on loud conference calls all day, you know, like I would yeah. never be able to write under those circumstances. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, and as Byron says, like, it's not a job that you can just turn off at the end of the day. Sometimes you're deep stuck in a story um, or figuring something out or there's a little bit of writer's block you're working through and and so in some cases I can dinner time can come and I'm still sort of withdrawn a little bit I'm in it I'm, I'm I can't just stop thinking about it because it's time to come together and eat dinner and I think I think there's like at least some understanding and forgiveness of that one so do you write all day um, I, I we kind of work all day. I feel like we have a, a regular schedule, you know, with a new book that just came out this year, I've been, you know, much more in sort of promotion mode. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have three projects in development as feature films. So the right. movie stuff takes up a lot of time. It's, it's writing is actually the hard, hardest time to squeeze, the hardest thing to squeeze in sometimes. But. It's tricky because, um, I think, I think we try to stick to regular working hours but our mind, some, my mind, sometimes can't, I can't let go yeah. of what I'm trying to figure out. And uh, sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's not. Um, so in that, in that way, we're always kind of, kind of going. Yeah, it's funny. I'm working on a writing project now and I, I Googled like habits of famous writers. And, you know, <laughs> and it was funny because like my thing was I read Stephen King's book on writing novels mm -hmm. or writing yep. and he says do a thousand words a day. So that's mm -hmm. what I've been doing. And it's great. It's like, and I've, I've always done that with everything I've ever written, like just sort of like give myself a goal, get to the goal and then I'm done. But then I was reading Karen Russell who wrote Swamplandia um, was saying she does it. She just does four hours every day. Like she sets in the morning, she like sets a timer for four hours and it doesn't matter how many words she does as long as she's engaged with her work for four hours a day, uh, which I thought was interesting because it's not about word count. It's more about just inhabiting the world of what you're writing. So I'm always fascinated to hear people's processes. Yeah, I think a little of column A and a little column B is good. You know, the Stephen King method is great when you're drafting a first draft, you mm -hmm. know, and it really is just like, let's get the story on the page. And because um, the problem with the four hours for me is that I, I would spend all the time rewriting because it's much, you know, I enjoy that process much more than mm. laying down fresh words. So sometimes you just, the output is what is important at, early in the stages. When you're writing a cookbook, do the, do the recipe ingredients count towards <laughs> a thousand words? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. That's like the, the lyrics or the music come first. Um, the recipes, yeah, I mean, the, the word, word count for the cookbook isn't really an issue. It's the number of recipes. So with the yeah. cookbook, it's 50 recipes. Um, but I'm writing a novel right now about uh, food writers, like a family of food writers. So like I'm oh, trying to hit, hit this like thousand words a day thing. So you guys are very inspiring. Um, but now we've come to the moment that you've been looking forward to, I hope, and not dreading, which is where I ask you, what did you guys have for lunch today? Okay, me first? Sure. All right. So I have the same lunch every day. I have a huge salad. So I have a huge bowl. And I put uh, in there chopped romaine, and then I put a little olive oil, mm -hmm. and then I put a little um, Key West lime juice. Okay, from a bottle? Yep, from a bottle. Okay. It's just like that lime green bottle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And then I put in uh, some onion powder. Okay. Cayenne pepper. Uh-huh. Um, I put in freeze-dried vegetable mix. So it's like an end cap thing. And I think people normally use it uh, in soups. Um, but I like it in the salad. It's like little bits of um, carrot and celery and because it's kind of crunchy. And uh, I've never it. heard anybody do that. I've, I've been working in food for almost 20 years. And that's the first time I've ever heard anybody put it, that in a is salad. Is that like a bacon bit for vegetables? <laughs> it, it, is, it is like bacon bits. Yes. Yeah. And I, I keep thinking, you know what? If I put this on TikTok, will this be a thing? Yeah, it might be. Ugh. And then I put some nutritional yeast on there, and then that's my salad. That's my big lunch. But in terms, like, but in terms of like what's in the bowl besides the flavorings, it's just romaine lettuce. It's like not like tomatoes or cucumbers or onions. So it's basically a bowl of romaine with lots of flavorings. Well, how dare you? But yes. <laughs> no, no, that's not a judgment. I, again, I'm a professional lunch therapist, and I never judge. I just take. I'm just Thanks. trying to take in all the information. Although that does sound like what a rabbit would eat for lunch. Um, okay. Now, Stephen, what did you have for lunch? We, we eat very differently. It's, a, it's interesting that we would be your first couple guests because you would think it would be like a couple prepares meals together and eats together. Yeah, and that doesn't eat. matter though, because this is good, good fuel for our conversation. Yeah, I, I, it might be good. It might, this might help you better judge our relationship. Uh, in that <laughs> no judging, it, no judging. Different, we do have different diets. Um, I have, now Byron's vegetarian. I am not, but years and years ago, it's been probably 20 years now, I did cut out red meat and pork. So I don't eat either of those. Um, but uh, so for me, like I, I like to, to grill. So I've been eating a lot of, more, more like a rice bowl of some, some rice, some canned black beans, which I always love. There's a, I'm gonna forget the brand of it now, but they've been stewed with jalapenos. So they've got a little bit of kick to them. Okay. And then, you know, just grill a, a simple piece of chicken um, and uh, sort of cut that up and sort of put that together sometimes with some avocado or something, but that just, just make a simple rice bowl. Outside? Oh, I grill, I grill outside. It's now, we live in Palm Springs. So now it's now, you know, 115 degrees outside. It's not pleasant to eat lunch outside. At the no, I can't imagine. Yeah. It is beautiful to eat outside, eat lunch outdoors in February. So but today with your grilled chicken, did you go out into the 115 degrees? I, yeah, I ran out, turned on the grill, slapped the chicken on and ran back yeah. inside. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny because Craig and I are very different people. Um, we come from very different families. And, and his sister, who's studying to be a therapist, who's been a guest on this podcast, once described me as coming from an enmeshed family where it was like one creature with multiple heads where everyone sort of had to, do, <laughs> had to do the same things at the same time. And Craig came from a family of very independently minded people who could all go in their own directions and do their own thing. And it was, but they all still felt connected. They didn't need to be involved when everyone else was trying. So it sounds like you guys as a couple are much more column B where it's like, you're both living your independent journeys, but you're still united in your relationship. It's just, you give yourself, you give each other space to do what you need to do. I like that. I actually um, had a prior relationship where I remember in, in therapy uh, at one point, I, clearly it wasn't going well, that uh, I said, well, you don't want to, you, you don't want a partner, you want a Siamese twin. And, and that is like a relationship model that I don't, you know, that I don't want for myself. I like lots of independence in, in the relationship and we have that. Is that true for you, Byron? Like, do you enjoy your independence too? Oh yeah, for sure. I recharge my batteries when with alone time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so sometimes that's just coming in the bedroom, closing the door and taking a nap. 
Uh, sometimes when it's not too hot, I'll go for uh, a two hour walk, uh, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's nice. But so, so you both are kind of even evenly matched in terms of your temperaments, in terms of wanting your alone time. But what about the opposite? I mean, is one of you more like needy or you know needing more attention or more, uh, you know, time? I think it was me early in the relationship. <laughs> We've been together eight years now. So I, I think early on, I was like the pursuer. And um, I had to learn that his needing alone time wasn't because he needed space away from me. Right. Space. Yes. Period. Once I learned it had nothing to do with me, I was my, I was like, oh, I don't need to sink my closet in that deep. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a little bit. Uh, is needy the right word? I don't know, but I like to shout like, uh, "You happy? Uh, <laughs> you're doing well." You know those little bits that maybe right. while you're in the thick of working, sometimes you're you know. Uh, it's not the perfect. Oh yeah, it is. It is fun. You will say hi to me like 15 times a day. I'm going to be like, we work at home. We live at home. It's been a pandemic. We've been shelving. You really only needed to say hi to me like once when I walked through the door in March 2020 and we haven't left each other's side. It's almost like you're just making sure he's still there and everything's okay. That's really interesting. I feel like there, Byron, I feel like there's a component of that in your book um, with one of the relationships that your character gets into where like, you're, you're emailing him a bunch and he's basically kind of gets annoyed and ends it. Yeah, um, I think I've gone through waves of learning about, uh, you know, personal space and boundaries and, and all that stuff. And, mm -hmm. and we had a, we had a, this is, this is, uh, Steve and I had a moment in real life that inspired a moment in the book. And that was uh, one night I got, I got home from work and Steve and I had a date uh, and I was like uh, exhausted. I just wanted to stay home. I didn't mm -hmm. want to do anything. And so I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I'm just bummed. Can, can, can we cancel, reschedule, whatever? And he said to me, um, of course, I'm, I'm here to make your life better, not more complicated. So, mm -hmm. you know, have a great night. And of course, I mean, of course, as soon as he said that, I was like, come over now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some That's all you wanted to hear. Yeah. 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 And that's so uh, nice. That was a real turning point. It was a real turning point for me and uh, of knowing that I can trust him to mm -hmm. care about um, what I need. Well, okay. Here's some like more like typical questions though about like food and couples and relationships because there's the obvious one that people always ask us, which is who does the dishes? Mm -hmm. I do more dishes, I think. Do you <laughs> think? Oh my gosh. Like throughout the day, I'll, I'll load the dishwasher when there are dishes in the sink. Yeah, we actually have a dishwasher now for the first time, uh, which is new for us in the past sort of year and a half, because um, we were doing everything by hand before. Um, I, I think we're largely independent. That I is we, true. I we, use fewer dishes. Is that true? I feel like it. <laughs> I feel like I've hit like a very, very raw nerve here about dishes. I mean, I wish there was a fight about the dishes. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, well, what's, yeah, the it's last funny. yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, yeah, no, you finish. You're the patient. Go ahead. Oh my God. Um, the last few nights, sometimes if we're watching something and I'm checked out, I'll go like tidy the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, I think we do our oh, own. Oh, yeah, I do. I guess I do use more dishes too. Cause I think I, cause sometimes I get frustrated that you, you will just do the bare minimum to food sometimes feels more like a function of staying alive for you whereas i will i will take steps to make something properly and enjoy it like i will i could not eat cold pizza 
I understand people like it, but I also can't eat microwave pizza. Like it has to be warmed on a pizza stone in an oven. Um, same thing with- uh, Broccoli. Yeah, I want it properly steamed or sauteed. I won't micro, like I, I don't- I'll microwave broccoli. You'll microwave everything. <laughs> and but so then I just have one bowl. Then you just have, yeah, then you don't have any dishes or pots and pans. Whereas I, I've got the pots and pans to scour. Well, that's really interesting. So Byron, where does your lack of interest in food come from? And Stephen, where does your interest in food come from? Like, did you grow up in different kinds of families where there's different priorities put on that kind of stuff? Hmm, that's a great question. I'm, I think mine is just a function of laziness. Uh, <laughs> okay. honestly. Uh, and uh, God, what's the word? Utility. Mm -hmm. um, growing, I grew up in Louisiana, so north of New Orleans, and uh, my parents were divorced, so... Uh, when I was really young, mom did did the cooking and that all seemed very traditional, but I just, I wasn't like in the kitchen. It was just like, oh, it's time to eat and race down, eat and get on with my day. Kind of, mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And then dad cooked um, meals too, but they were, you know, I don't know. It was the same thing. It always seemed very functional to me. Hmm. But even, even near New Orleans, like, did you ever go out to like New Orleans restaurants and eat like fried catfish and all that kind of stuff? I took all that for granted. So like... <laughs> You could get a catfish po' boy on any corner. You could get it at the gas station. Um, so there wasn't like, um, so I kind of just took good food for granted and this is good and that's good. And, uh, but then when it came time for me to kind of take care of myself, I was like, I'm not, I'm not frying catfish. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying a po' boy every, every day for lunch. And so then, it, then I got a little lazy. Interesting. Stephen, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very, uh, I grew up in, in Maine. Um, other than seafood, there's not a lot of deep sort of uh, culinary traditions uh, from Maine, uh, perhaps. And, uh, and, and the food that I grew up with was very um, white. I mean mm -hmm. that it, sort of racially. And also it was a lot of like, uh, you know, casseroles with a bechamel sauce or something. And, you know, it, it just there wasn't a lot of excitement to the food that I grew up with. And no, I didn't have Chinese food until I went to college or something mm -hmm. like it was like, you know, and so an interest in food came, came as part of my adult life and independence, I think that I was mm -hmm. more adventurous in eating. And I did have a, my first serious relationship he was uh, an incredible, uh, incredible cook. And I learned so much and I was just sort of blown away. It was all just like, you know, it was like watching Merlin, you know, do these like magic. I was like, mm -hmm. wait, you can put this and this together or the idea of someone cooking without a recipe mm -hmm. or understanding. It was the first time I ever stopped and thought about how ingredients can go together and what happens when you pair things and what, what, goes good with what and that it's okay to make mistakes and sometimes that something won't be edible but but you've learned something in that and, and so that's something I always like carried with me from that point um forward and Stephen really really you really are a great cook and uh we've had we have friends come out here and Steve will cook for us and we'll you know Brussels sprouts or um chicken with um peanut butter uh yeah. ginger sauce <laughs> Oh yeah, um, I'll make sauce like with, a, with a ginger glaze. He does or like something. a delicious pesto pasta. Like he can do a homemade pizza that's out of this world. So you, I, I feel like I'm naming like bad. The basic, the yeah, most like, basic. <laughs> potatoes that yeah. are. Perfect. That's very cute. How like because like it seems like when it's not Stephen cooking, you're not that interested in food. But when he's cooking, it seems like that's when you get excited. 
I think our big thing, I also get on weird diet kicks. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was, I think there just hit a point during the pandemic where Steve was just kind of like, I can't keep up with what you're, you're are you eating lectins? Are you not eating lectins? Like, what are you doing? And, <laughs> what are uh, lectins? What is a lectin? Yeah, yeah, what is a lectin? I think it's like a, a protein, uh, like in tomatoes. It might be a seed. But why but, would you eat them and versus not eat them? Oh, well, because Instagram um, <laughs> introduced me to this guy, Dr. Gidry, who was oh, talking no. about colon health and um, and uh, you can, if you eat too many lectins, you can get little tears in your colon. So if you cut out lectins, uh, gut health, all this stuff. And so I did that. Okay. For a while. And how did it feel? I felt nothing different. <laughs> and so I went back to, I went back to, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, don't believe feeding. everything you read on Instagram, you know, uh, yeah, it really is. It is listen to that, uh, to that preface for everything that it would be like, Oh, I, I saw it on TikTok or I read yeah. it on Instagram. Yeah. And you will rearrange your whole life based oh, on it. Well, I, it's like, I don't have the energy. For I know that. it's true. Well, as you're talking I mean, about diets and like Instagram fads and stuff, I mean, the other elephant in the room is that we're all gay men and like, we probably all know and are friends with guys who prioritize their bodies over what they eat or, you know, or, that, or that's a huge struggle. Like how they look versus how they get to feed themselves. And for me, like I chose my, I made my decision a long ago that I'd rather eat whatever I want than have like six pack abs, but that's my decision. But I'm curious how you both navigate that living as you do in Palm Springs, where you're surrounded by beefcakes everywhere you turn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one advantage to moving to Palm Springs is even though I just turned 50 earlier this year, I'm young again in Palm Springs. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the fresh beefcake in, in Palm Springs. But, you know, I, I just mentioned that because it, it's something that my relationship with food and uh, body image and whatnot has changed with age. And certainly my metabolism has slowed down and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, and you're right, we do live here in the desert where we have a swimming pool and we have guests out and, you know, everyone's uh, not wearing very much and in the pool. And, and so to me though, now, like every inch around my waist or something is um you know I, a meal I look at it as a meal I enjoyed with friends or drinks mm-hmm. that I had or travel that I've done like I try to look at it that way it, it is truly life experience and and um, I love that that's like rings of a tree <laughs> yeah there, well there's gonna be more, more rings all the time <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I've got those too I love that I'm gonna you're gonna be my new diet diet guru on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as I grow older, I was like, those are the things, you know, I, I've never regretted, uh, you know, a great meal. I've just never, I just, um, I, you know, I will carry that with me forever. And um, I'm, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it, it evolves over, it evolves over time, my feelings about it. And how about you, Byron? Are you somebody who's struck a balance between like body image and eating? Or is that something that you still, or something you've struggled with in the past? Um, when I was younger, I, the complaint was always, I was too skinny, mm-hmm. too skinny, too skinny. I used to have old ladies. I grew up Catholic and old ladies in church <laughs> used to, uh, to pull me aside and be like, you know, every time you drive by Wendy's, you should just go get a frosty. <laughs> like, that's that what was- my grandmother always said to me to drink more milkshakes when I was a kid. That was a big yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, so I always heard that. And then as I got older, metabolism changed and body changed and, um, yeah, I think that sometimes that can affect self-esteem, but I also have been into therapy for years and years and years. I love self-help stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so I see a value now in um, 
value now in my body and in my life. I'm going to be 43 tomorrow. Wow. Happy birthday. Thank you. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really great. And I do try to just strike a balance, you know? Well, I'm going to do a little sidebar quickly because, you know, obviously people who've read your book, Byron, want all the Carrie Fisher gossip. And I'm just, just curious. And then we'll move back to couples therapy, but like in terms of food with Carrie, like, do you have a lot of food memories with her of like going to meals with her or what she ate? I know that's all in the book, but like, are there ones that come to mind immediately? Um, well, in general, she, she was not like a big foodie. Like it was very rare for her to like go to a restaurant for a meeting. Um, mm-hmm. she, would, she would have, she would just have meetings at her house, bring people over. And, um, and then she was famous for throwing uh, big parties at her house where, um, pe- where she would, uh, make fried chicken and she had a chef that she loved who made fried chicken. Um, and I can remember other little, when we traveled, it was always like room service. Uh-huh. And, um, we'd order everything. It was crazy. Uh, it was crazy fun. Um, she wasn't and, like an adventurer. Like, cause I know you guys went to Bali or was that somewhere? Went, in the- yeah, we went to Bali. We went to Japan. And, uh, so in Japan, Oh a, yeah. That's yeah. a really funny story in the book. Like tell the story. Yeah. There's a story <laughs> in the book that is, uh, the assistant and the movie star, uh, have this experience in real life. Um, I was, uh, I went in my alone time. So a friend of, of Carrie's was traveling with us and the chef at this very fancy hotel, the hotel used to be um, an emperor's palace. They converted to a hotel. You could only get there by boat. It was this crazy whole thing. And uh, so the, the, the head chef found out that Carrie Fisher was there and was like, we're gonna do this great gourmet meal for you. And um, it's for two. And I was like, please, you two go. I'm gonna take a nap, rest here in this giant suite, uh, have fun. I had my kimono on, it was lovely. <laughs> Uh, so then they took off and when they came back, she hands me her purse and I open it up. And uh, what happened at dinner was um, she, she was being served um, uh, sushi that was very fresh, it's like some of it living, some of it still moving. Right. It wasn't her thing. So uh, when the waitresses would leave the room, she would open her purse. <laughs> she was on uh, Jenny Craig at the time. And so she would open a bag of like, uh, sugar oats, uh, pour them <laughs> into her purse and use the cellophane to start collecting the sushi that she didn't want to eat. Uh, and eventually it spilled out of that. Anyway, she brought me this purse and I, uh, I had to take it to the balcony where the river was uh, flowing to <laughs> me. And I just flung all of these little <laughs> Uh, out into the water and hopefully they're all fine yeah you're probably like a hero in the in the underwater community right now that's right that's right yeah wow that's such a good story that's really I'm glad you told that um Mm -hmm. well I'm curious for you guys so when you travel together or when you are in a new city is food a priority like our restaurants a priority like the two of you as a couple like and who's the one who makes the reservations and who's the one who does the research and is that is that what's guiding your trip or other factors Two things. One, oh my God, I'm jumping in. No, please. <laughs> One, I, I think in the future, it's going to be more of a factor because we've sort of flown by the seat of our pants a little bit on our last few trips. And I think that it, uh, I think maybe, I don't know, I'll, I'll be curious if you agree. But then the second part is Steve, I think. Uh, Steven mostly is in charge of, uh, he, he kind of leads the thing. When I'm hungry, I'm just like, there's a place. Uh, <laughs> we would not travel well together. No, no. Oh, I'm like, no. I'm going to New York next week. I literally have like every morsel planned that I'll be putting into my body. Oh, <laughs> happiness. Yeah. Yes. But how about you, Stephen? What's your take on it? Yeah, it's funny when going to someplace like New York, you know, there are um, obviously like new things that I've read about that I want to try, but, there, but I used to live in New York for a little while. So they're all old favorites too. And there's like, 
things that are, you know, sort of like New York staples for me that I want to revisit. Uh, but traveling, yeah, I think we, I think you and I travel very well together, but I am probably like, I, I don't know, in general, I, well, maybe this isn't fair. I was gonna say a little more planner, um, but but I don't know if that's true. But with with restaurants, certainly, like I like, I like having uh, the ability to discover a few things while we're there, but also knowing that we have one or two reservations also so that we can take the pressure off of a certain night and also. And we learn along the way. So in when we went to Venice uh, in Italy, um, they told us the specials and we were like, okay, let's get that, uh, the salt crusted fish. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, I'll get that too. It sounds so good. So we got two and we had no idea what was in store. It was basically, it was, it, each dish was sort of for two. There was <laughs> yeah. huge fish. It was enormous fish <laughs> under a mountain of rock salt. Yeah, like, like hard rock salt. And they had to come by and crack it all open. It was a whole production. And so we kind of over-ordered there. Yeah, so they should have told you. They should have warned you. That's not fair. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we got them. They got you. So I was going to ask you in your eight years together, is, is there a meal? This is almost like the newlywed game. I feel like you each should have your own answer and see if it's the same, but is there a meal that stands out as the best meal that you've had together? Wow. I think it was Paris. Um, and where yeah. did we go? You had, Byron had a friend who was living in there and a sort of American expat who was living there and her boyfriend, husband, husband. was a chef yep. at a Michelin starred restaurant and I don't I can't remember the name of the restaurant offhand but it was one of these things where we never would have been able to get into but he got us in at like 11 o'clock at night and we could mm. just do the tasting menu or something like some experience that we wouldn't have gotten to have otherwise it was off the beaten path it, it was uh small so it was very intimate and there were just a zillion courses I remember yeah I think I, we yeah. we ate this was before you were vegetarian I think. maybe right because we just ate whatever they put in front of us yeah. vacation that's, rules yeah vacation rules that sounds really fun that sounds like a great experience like especially to know somebody so that can like get you in somewhere like that um well i'm curious like so when we talked about your lunch we talked about like independence and each being on your own track but is that true throughout the day is that true for breakfast is that true for dinner like how when do you guys rejoin your separate machinery and make a decision about food yeah i think um i i miss sort of the intimacy of cooking a meal and both sharing it sometimes. Um, but now we've sort of replaced that with, well, I would say that like the pandemic affected things. So we, so we, you know, obviously live together. We work, we both work at home. There was a lot of togetherness and the pandemic only, um, only exacerbated that a bit, you know, as we stopped traveling for work and, and whatnot, it, it was, we were together a lot. And so I think we exercised a little bit of independence and alone time um by either staggering our sleep schedules a little bit and and it seeped over into food prep also i think it was just like um you know i haven't left you know like early in the pandemic when you're like i didn't even leave the house today mm -hmm. um then i'm going to treat myself by cooking something that i want you know mm -hmm. and i'm not sort of we're not figuring out dinner together it's just something i'm doing for me so um, and I think that's that's sort of carried through. But now that rest, now that we've been back at restaurants and and whatnot, now we'll have a date night. Sort of stands in for the intimacy of 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 a shared meal. It now becomes you know like a shared, even though we're not eating the same thing in a restaurant, it's a shared experience. Mm -hmm. so, so you know, having date nights again and eating in restaurants would be 
very special. And we're definitely very different for breakfast and lunch, but I, sometimes we come together at dinner. I would say more often than not. Yeah. We just make sure our dinner is ready at the same time. And do you guys, so do you guys have favorite Palm Springs spots for people who are listening who uh, are going to go there and on vacation sometime? Yeah. Uh, the, honestly, one of my favorite meals here is the, the rooster and the pig. I knew you were going to say that. that's my favorite place. Yay. Yeah. Like Vietnamese fusion, which doesn't sound like something you might want when it's 115 degrees outside, but it, it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the food there is just incredible. And they never used to have takeout. And then uh, over the course of the pandemic, they had to switch their business model. And so you could get takeout. And I'm not sure what the status is at the moment. I don't know. Um, but that, w- that was a, a sort of a real joy. Hmm. Um, we, we love 849 is that the one it's numbers but i don't remember the oh name. yeah yeah i know that yeah and mr lyons is special occasion we're gonna go there tomorrow. oh yeah love that place yeah i love mr lyons i still am obsessed with a, like a 1950s sort of red leather horseshoe booth steakhouse even yeah. though i don't eat steak i want a table side caesar i want a big martini mm-hmm. and uh and you know and i'll order you know a piece of fish or something to go with that but but um i still love that that sort of classic palm springs 50s sort of steakhouse feel sinatra mm-hmm. packy and kind of feel even though it doesn't really match my diet but i still <laughs> over that yeah it's a great that's a great atmosphere it's so, so funny because now i associate it with a fight that I had with friends during the pandemic about ah. about Woody Allen, oh. it was like it was like a stupid conversation. I'm not even going to rehash it. Wait, did someone come down pro Woody Allen? Well, this was this was right when the documentary had started, and we were all okay. watching it. And it was like the uh. first episode before it got to like the really damaging stuff. And so like there was just a lot of conversation, but it got so heated. And like the the waitress came over, and was like, "I'll come back." Like, and now it's like one of those fights where it's like that's all I'll think about for the rest of my life when I think about Mr. Lyons Steakhouse. Oh no! Oh, but no. I, but it's really good food. Um, well, actually, a good question for you guys, which I've never asked you before, is what what's it like to move to Palm Springs? Like, what was what's it like to leave LA and live there? Well, we moved. So we bought a place here four four and a half years ago or so, and we were sort of weekenders for a while. And it was November of 2019, so just a little bit before the pandemic, where we thought we'd roll the dice. We were now both working at home. We sort of felt like our writing careers were established enough that we could leave LA and try mm-hmm. it. And I think we were just going to sort of try it for a year and see how it felt. But you know, I still sort of at figuring out what it feels like really because then it, once the pandemic hit I thought you know I, I the idea was oh we'll be back and forth to LA all the time and we'll have friends out on the weekends and and it just didn't turn out to be that mm-hmm. um and you know I thought we would travel too at the height of the summer when it it's you know when the temperatures are the hottest and it would all, and instead we were kind of in in lockdown so um it just the past couple months where I sort of feel like we're exploring what it actually means to to be here i don't know do you have this yeah i think we're lucky because we could afford uh, a house with air conditioning and a pool that mm-hmm. we could never afford in la right and then i keep having these uh lovely moments of um there's parking yeah <laughs> right foods you know there's uh you can go to the i got an email that i have to get one of those real ids from the dmv that's going to be easy. Like going to the right. gym, here's a breeze. The Trader Joe's has an enormous parking lot. Where can you, where else can you say that? Yeah, uh, that's so awesome. Traffic, and so there's, there's a lot of things like that, that are, uh, that are just easy. It's mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. It's funny because Craig and I moved from New York to LA and 
just like the idea of like driving to the grocery store and like putting groceries in your trunk was transformative. But it's funny because like we're going through a phase right now. I think a lot of people are looking at their lives after the pandemic and really questioning like where, where are we living and like, is this where we want to be? I mean, it's definitely a lot of people who live in New York uh, are, are moving to the country or moving out of the city. But it's funny for me because it made me actually miss New York. Like, I, I don't know why, but I guess I just missed that proximity to other people and culture. And Craig is like, we, we can never go back there. Like, we'll never... Yeah. Because it's basically the quality of life here is so much greater. It's like, I'm not going to go back to like a tiny apartment and like, you know, baseboard heating and just whatever, you know, all those things that are seem romantic when you're in your twenties, but yeah. Kitchens were always the sort of hardest part about New York living. Yeah. I think. Um, Totally. Especially if you like to cook. Yeah. And then storage in the kitchen. Yeah. Impossible. Where do you keep pots and pans? Oh yeah. Actually, I just saw somebody on Twitter posted a picture of an apartment in New York where the kitchen was so small that the refrigerator was kept in the living room. And I was like, Uh, I can't go back there. Yeah. Uh, Well, okay. You guys, I feel like we're, I scratched the surface a little bit with your relationship with food, but I feel like there's gotta be some more there that I I can dig into. Um, But I asked about your families. I asked about growing up. I asked about cooking separate dishes. We got to that. Are there any areas that I haven't touched on yet that feel like live issues in your relationship as it concerns food? Oh, I think like our biggest issue sometimes is I would prefer to splurge on the full real thing, whether that be, you know, some sort of dessert, full fat, ice cream, you know, and I would rather have a little bit of something great. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you have a harder time, tell me if this is fair or not, uh, eating eating and walking away like you you're more into binging i am a caveman and if there is a pint of ice cream in front of me i shall eat all of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because i'm scared uh genetically or whatever where's my next meal coming from that's this is my excuse oh um, interesting okay blame okay. the cave people. yeah okay. like my cave people ancestors um but yeah i do have that issue so i've been doing this this thing that steve thinks is gross i think um, I saw Steve is nodding for those who can't see. <laughs> yeah. I saw a thing on TikTok where you can make protein ice cream, which is basically just almond milk, protein powder, oh, um, powder. I'm sorry, not to and judge, then, not to judge. And then, yeah. and then you fill the blender <laughs> with ice, and so you get like four servings of this ice cream um, textured yumminess. And so I'll eat four bowls of that, and it's like 250 calories, and I'm like, great. And like last night, Steve was like, mm mm. No, just no, no, yeah. no. It tastes like if you fill the blender with ice and then put Dawn dishwashing no. soap in it. Yeah, or, that's what it tastes like. What about me. the butterscotch one? That was the least bad. That was the least bad. Well, if this was, if this was, but, real, I, but I would yeah. rather have that pint of full fat ice, and I oh, will, yeah. I will eat. You know, I can eat it in five or six servings. It's okay. Um, you know, I can enjoy just a few spoonfuls at a time and walk away. But that's always, I always want the, the true thing. Instead of finding the guilt-free substitute, I would rather modify portion. Um, yeah, well, if this was real couples therapy, I would ask you, Stephen, how does it make you feel when Byron eats his um, protein ice cream? It's fine if it was, it's fine <laughs> basically him just eating ice. And if he wants to get up and pee all night, then that he can, <laughs> Thank you. He can do that. But it has re- required me to hide some food around the house because there are things that really. I what do you have hidden? I think like peanut butter or something in the past, like oh. jars of peanut butter. Because I want every once in a while, I want a spoonful of peanut butter or a little bit <sighs> as as uh, in in my protein shake or or something. And I just like garbage, you know, like Skippy or Jif kind mm-hmm. of peanut butter. Me you know, too. Like yeah. 
I don't, you know, it has to have some sugar in it. Yeah, so that's the good I stuff. I don't just want, yeah, a nut butter that is separated entirely. I want, I want what I had as a kid. And, um, and you will just eat it, you will eat the whole jar for, you know, if I turn my back for five seconds and you know where it is. So I, I have little things like that squirreled away mm -hmm. around the house, which is hard to do when it's 115 degrees, by the way. There are certain things you can't. Yeah, they're going to melt in the sun. They're going to melt. They're gonna melt. <laughs> yeah. so I have to be creative. Well, Byron, I'm curious, and I and I know this is something you've written about before, and you, it's on your Instagram, and you, I think you made a web series about it, but you, you're a cancer survivor. Yep. And I'm curious if um, your experiences with cancer inform your diet now, like in terms of healthfulness and mindfulness about what you're eating. Oh, man. I think during chemo, so you went through chemotherapy last year. Yeah. And during chemo, like you were more free with yourself, allow, allowing yourself to enjoy food or getting food that you want and not worry about the sort of diet aspect of it too much. And sometimes with chemo, that's, that's just necessity. You can only keep down what, you know, what you right. can But um, it was nice to see you enjoy food in a way or have, or, or, or you use food as, celebration too for for getting through you know a, a week of treatment or or something like to, to mm -hmm. do something special because i always feel food has a celebratory or many foods have a celebratory aspect to them mm -hmm. and the problem is is when we when we eat celebration foods as daily <laughs> staples right but, that's uh, that's my issue yeah yeah but i'm curious byron like for you like in terms of like mindfulness about like what's in your food is that something that's on your mind when you eat Oh, it really has just gone in phases. So yeah. uh, right after chemo, I was really um, serious about like trying to cut out or reduce sugar, mm -hmm. uh, those kind of things. Um, gosh, I wish I was more of a champion of um, uh, juicing or whatever. What's that lady? Um, she was on Three's Company. Oh, Suzanne Summers. Suzanne Summers. Yeah, like she, I think she's you, like a hardcore, like You cannot be a Palm diet. Springs resident. <laughs> yeah. Suzanne Summers. Yeah. Like, she, got, she got robbed on like camera yes, recently, yes, right? And a lot. And a Facebook crazy, live. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, she, but you know, I, I just, I haven't done that. And for a while I was a uh, vegan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will say like, uh, this is not, uh, I lack the willpower to to be a vegan with cheese in the house and mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. Or right. and I lack the willpower to cut out sugar or something when there's Skippy in the pantry. Mm -hmm. like, so maybe that, maybe I'm not a supportive partner. Maybe this is <laughs> as a partner, um, but I, I have to draw a line in the sand at some point and be like, all right, life isn't worth living without. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're hitting on like a very like primal, yeah. like universal subject, which I think everybody struggles with, which is like what you put into your body, like is, you know, it's either for pleasure or nourishment, but it's like, you have to make these decisions every day. It's like, are you, are you making these, you know, is it about longevity? Is it about pleasure? Is it about enjoyment? Is it about adding years to your life? It's like, we all struggle with that constantly. So I think between the two of you, it sounds like you're still, you're, you're both finding a balance about, you know, how you manage that, which I struggle with all the time. It's funny because like I go to extremes. So like last week I did smoothies every day for lunch and went to the gym every day. And today I skipped the gym and ordered a Howlin' Ray's Nashville style fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I genuinely go to huge extremes. It's like either it's like a fried chicken sandwich and no gym, or it's like smoothies all week in the gym, but I have a hard time with balance. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I think, I, I think I relate to that. Yeah. I have to just stop eating. I want you to be happy. So I want you to have peanut butter. That's crazy to ask Steven to not buy peanut butter. 
Um, but so is I, the fear with peanut butter, I just have to ask, like for you, Byron, like, is it, is the fear like that it's going to make you fat or is it going to oh, like, it's, I will consume thousands of calories with peanut butter and honey. I'll take a spoon of peanut butter right. honey, and then sometimes I'll do <laughs> syrup. Uh huh. Um, oh, it's so good. Just thinking about it. My body is like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, so it's Starting like, vibrate, like yeah. you yeah. should go have some peanut butter. I give you permission as your lunch therapist. Thank you. You, thank you. may have some, but it's, it's interesting because it almost feels like the bowl of um, romaine lettuce is an opportunity for you to binge, but you're, you're binging on something that's not in your mind bad for you. Yes. I remember once we had two jars of peanut butter in the house and you drew with a Sharpie on top, like B for Byron and well, S for Steve. Steve for fire, there are chunks of honey in my peanut butter. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm making a mess. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you have separate um, peanut butter in your relationship. But then I pulled them out of the, of the day and it says BS on top. I was like, oh, this is BS. Like, right. this, is, this is too much. In sickness and in health and in yeah. crunchy yeah. and in smooth. Jiffy yeah. yeah. and in <laughs> Peter Pan. My, um, yeah. My latest, my trend with the salad thing, which is, uh, you know, a low calorie lunch is that I have been splurging for dinner. So like for dinners, I'll do like a big veggie burger with a big bun and mm -hmm. french fries. And so I, I do try to do that. I don't know. Balance. Balance. Well, one thing I haven't asked you guys about, and by the way, I'm going to congratulate you for this, but you got married during the pandemic. Is Yay! that right? Yeah, Mazel Tov. But can you tell, you tell us listeners here about that experience and what that was like and maybe what well, you ate? What you ate? Yeah. We, I think we have to start in the proposal. So Byron's novel. Oh, yeah. yeah this is came out last July. It's almost a year. Almost a year Next ago. week will be a year ago. But when the when the final copies arrived at our house, you had me look at the at the and I thought I knew the book inside and out because we're each other's first reader. We give notes along the way and all that. But at the end of the acknowledgments, you had added four additional words, which were, will you marry me? Aww. And uh, yeah, I was kind of stunned. I was like, wait, is this in all the <laughs> Because the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, we spoiled it a little bit. If anybody wants to read my what my acceptance of the proposal, it is in the acknowledgments to the Gunkle. So you can read these two books and sort of say, and it's now all documented in the Library of Congress. But um, but yeah, we got we got married in April of this year, and it was a decision. Like it was sort of we'd had our first vaccines, I think, at this point, and and it was like close enough that we thought like should we should we wait and actually have a, a big wedding? And and for me, it was a reason to to accelerate. It was a reason to floor the gas pedal and be like, now let's do this now, so we don't have to, uh, you know, have a big thing. I don't know. It was really lovely and quiet and meaningful and just us really. We, we had been talking about it for a while. What do we want exactly? And uh, the opportunity to do it during the pandemic just meant we didn't have a lot of other voices to, to worry about, like mm -hmm. parents flying in, hotel, where's everyone staying? Right. We could pick our own venue, eat our own foods. Um, Steve, uh, so Steve made a cake. Uh, really? I baked our wedding like, cake. Yeah. Amazing cake. What uh, kind of cake was it? Well, Adam Roberts, let me tell you, it was, a, uh, it was just a, a vanilla cake with layers, uh, uh, with a, a layers of marzipan cream and mm. lemon curd. Yum. And um, then there was uh, decorated with marzipan uh, candies and hummingbirds. That's beautiful. And did yeah. you guys just eat it between the two of you? Uh, uh, just me. Yeah. I'm not all by myself. No, cake is one of my weaknesses. I love nothing more than like a 1950s, uh, you know, layer cake kind mm -hmm. of you know, that sort of heavy, dense cake um, that tastes almost more like more like cornbread, but then with the 
you know, buttercream frosting. That is yeah. like it sits on the counter with the glass dome. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So you guys had this wedding and did you have, so did you have a meal with it too? Like, did you go out to dinner? We you- went out to dinner and that was our first time back at a restaurant in over a year. Where'd you go? With our wedding night. We went to Copley's here in uh, Palm Springs, which is on Cary Grant's old estate. So it's wow. his old house. Uh, I can't believe is- you haven't been. It's so fun. You would No. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, it's a really lovely meal and it has that bit of Hollywood history and specialness to it. That, uh, uh, but it, it, you know, it's funny, the, the things that used to be the bare minimum for celebration, like going out to, to for a meal, suddenly felt like, wow, this is yeah. like wedding worthy. Like we're eating in a restaurant. Yeah. It was- uh, it And was did something. it feel, I'm curious, cause like Craig and I had a wedding um, and I felt different afterwards, even though Craig and I had been together because we've been together a really long time, like 15 years. But when we got married, we, we had been together, I guess, eight years or nine years. I'm bad at math. But um, but the, but the actual process of just like going through that did make me feel differently. And I'm curious if you guys felt different, even though you went back to the same bed, the same house, the same life. Did it feel different? It, it did for me. And getting engaged- How dare you? First of all, we've <laughs> separate bedrooms <laughs> yeah <laughs> mr and mrs wilson and your separate little beds. yeah <laughs> the engagement felt different for me and then the the marriage felt different and people have i've heard people say that and i'm always like i roll but it really did feel really special and lovely do you mm-hmm. think that? yeah i think it definitely deepened our relationship it's hard to separate the marriage itself from the year that we've come through like i do think like um you know, quarantining at home. And, and we took it to an extreme, right? Because Byron had a cancer diagnosis uh, a, a week or two after the sort of shelter at home order started last wow. spring. So um, immediately, like we, we, it was us against the world, kind of like mm-hmm. you know, we were going to extremes to keep Byron safe through his uh, chemo treatment. Right. So, I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. About staying safe and, from COVID. Yeah, yeah. So we weren't even ordering like takeout and stuff like that early on. And then eventually when we did it was stuff that that's when the microwave came in handy when mm-hmm. I was able to just nuke all of our takeout in a way that I thought, oh, this will be safe. Um, but you know, so just that year a year of sort of really close togetherness, I think was, you know, make or break for a lot of people. And it certainly um I think we we were already in the, the make category, but it just it it's you know, I think it deepened our our relationship in general. I agree. Oh, that's so nice. Um, Well, you guys, we're not quite at the end yet, but we're almost there. And every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, drama. (laughs) Well, uh, I've got more chicken marinating already in a lemon pepper sauce. And I think I'm going to roast some Brussels sprouts that we agreed on some little roast potatoes. I think those are I think that's what's in my future. And I'm going to make a, a veggie burger. I do two. Bo- you'll have the sprouts <laughs> and the potatoes, yeah. but you'll and substitute I, your protein. Yeah. And uh, so if the grill is going, I'll ask you to put on two Boca burgers. I'm from I'll- Boca. Oh, is that where the burger is from? Also? <laughs> I don't even know, but my yeah, parents live in Boca Raton, Florida. So oh, I'll find, I'll get them from the source get, for you. Get, I'll get, get, the, yeah, yeah. get the details. Call that, call that uh, three-headed monster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's going to grill the burgers for you, but you're on your independent journeys, but being prepared on the same grill. Yeah. yeah. So our main course will be different, but our sides are the same. Dun, dun, dun. Is that beautiful? That's kind of ironic since you're my main course in life. Uh, and maybe, maybe our sides are so <laughs> Wait, but Byron, I never asked you why, when and where and how did you become a vegetarian? 
Uh, it started, did, was I was I vegetarian before the, the, the Thanksgiving? No, it's the Thanksgiving. So it. there was a Thanksgiving where I got up in the middle of the night and uh, we were we were out here at another house that uh, we didn't have this house then. And some friends had gone to Ralph's or somewhere and gotten- No, like, it was Costco. Costco, <laughs> Costco size pecan pie. Uh-uh. In the middle of the night, I got a spoon and ate that pie. And uh, the whole pie. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I can't keep living like this. I need some guidelines and some boundaries. And I'm not even sure if pecan pie contains ingredients that are not vegan, but I was like, butter, butter, a lot of butter, eggs. So I started going vegan then and uh, was pretty good about it for for a while. And then it just got it got it was really hard to uh, hard to maintain. And but, you know, um, so it's been years that I've I think been- it's funny that it, it was in response to overeating a pecan pie and not like I had a 28 ounce steak or something. Well, it's actually interesting because like hearing that story makes me realize because like, I feel like the the wrong interpretation of Byron's lunch and like his relationship to food is that he doesn't enjoy food that much. But I think the actual real thing is that you love food so much, but you put restrictions on yourself so that you don't overindulge in food. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's true, and I wish I wish I had a better solution, mm-hmm. um, but I do not. Well, what, if it works for you, I mean, you know, there's no right and wrong in terms terms of what you eat, as long as you're enjoying yourself. I mean, are you able to enjoy yourself if you go like to my house for dinner and I serve you a big plate of pasta and a slice of chocolate cake? Is that something you can enjoy? Oh my god, I'm begging you. Yeah, I've done it before. You guys have been over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just fishing that. for compliments, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> but you're, I think that the, the dividing line for you is you are like, um, you know, it's like a Game of Thrones episode where you you, you are like, hold, you've got to hold the door. Hold the door. Keep that food out of the house because mm-hmm. it's okay to go out and enjoy it once in a while. But if it comes in the house, then you, you don't want to eat like that for every meal. All right, so here's my last question since you guys are my only and first couple on this show. Yay. Without consulting one another, you are both going to make each other the meal of their life of your one another's lifetime. Ooh. So Byron, you're gonna go off and go get a bunch of things. And Steven, you're gonna go off and get a bunch of things, but you can't consult first. Okay. But uh, what Byron would you present to Steven? And Steven, what would you present to Byron besides a jar of peanut butter and honey? So for Steven, uh, I can I answer for sure what dessert will be, and that is I'll bake him a cake based on like Magnolia Bakeries, buttercream, vanilla. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, I hope it's good. He's nodding. He's nodding. That's good. <laughs> this is not a test, by the way. This is more about like how would you express, you know, what what you think this other person would love versus like it being right or wrong. For dinner, um, I think maybe you would enjoy a, like a popover roll. Uh, so a hot popover. <laughs> I'm sorry from the, I'm sorry backwards, you know what I mean? Um, it is making a funny face for those who can't see, but keep going. <laughs> and then, uh, gosh, I really don't want you to have chicken. Um, and I know you don't eat red meat. It's really hard to say. What is left? I don't know. That's dumb and delicious and lives in the no, t- no helping, no helping. That's cheating. Yeah. I mean, I That's thought cheating. about I thought about salmon, but um, Stephen doesn't buy himself a lot of uh, salmon, so so maybe it would be like a yeah, like a nice piece of fish, um, that kind of thing. 
Byron, come on, you can do better. We have cake, fish, and a popover. A popover is a very serious. <laughs> I, don't know, I, feel like, I feel like we need a vegetable. Just get throwing the vegetable and we're good. Oh. What vegetable um, defines Stephen Rowley's <laughs> Um, I don't know. You're a, you like, uh, um, maybe I would do some um, broccoli that's just like kind of singed in the pan kind of thing. Charred broccoli. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of that? Singed. I love the official cooking terms. Yeah. How did he do, Stephen? What would you actually want your meal to be? Uh, well, I would eat that. I would eat that. Um, well, wait, let me say my, I guess yeah, say yours. Yeah. Part. Then we'll, um, then we'll do a course correction. Yeah. And I guess this is a bear because I've had an extra moment to think about it, but I would love to make for you an incredible, bear with me, um, like sushi meal, even though you don't eat fish, but come up with incredible things that would give the experience of sushi so so some mm. fun sort of vegetable rolls i know there are things i know there are there is a there used to be a vegan sushi place in downtown la i don't know if it's still there. really that's ever, cool yeah. yeah but they would do things with like um i hate this word but mouthfeel and uh <laughs> they always uh, say that on top chef the mouth feels yeah like, yeah but like, you know, avocado, you know, an approximated temperature or some uh, other kinds of like, a you know, a, a vegetable blend that um, might be like unagi or, you know, or something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that would be fun to experiment with. Because yeah, I know lovely. we used to love to get sushi together. What about dessert? Oh, my goodness. Well, it would have to be a pecan. Pie. Yeah, pecan pie. Come on. <laughs> a jar of Skippy. Yeah, yeah a jar of Skippy. Old, yeah, i just get you a bottle oh, of honey and I'd a be jar of Skippy. Yeah. All right. So then what would you have wanted your spouse to have made for you? Like, what Like, what would you have liked your meal to be? Oh, I think, uh, yeah, mine sounded, uh, mine sounded pretty good. Um, I think, uh, yeah, get that salmon. Let's just get some cedar planks for the... For the <laughs> So just like a very like wholesome like broccoli salmon. Yeah, and I, yeah. I am not. I don't need to reinvent the base. You know, a, a nice you know a clean piece of protein and you know a vegetable and and that popover sounds pretty good. I'll take it. Oh good. Yeah. <laughs> you did great. And have any Byron? Real butter. No, no substitution butter. No low fat butter. No nothing. Real salted uh -huh. table butter. Got it. And what about you, Byron? Would you be up for the sushi experience, or would you have chosen something else? Oh, for sure. The sushi sounds amazing, but I do go through phases where I just eat the same thing over and over. And so I really am in a veggie burger phase. And uh, so that sounds like <laughs> I could eat a veggie burger with fries right now. So you so. would prefer a veggie burger and fries to homemade sushi? Is that terrible? Well, it's homemade. No, it's not terrible. Let's not yeah. get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's okay. that sushi is a lie. <laughs> but uh, wow. Maybe I would have done that. Do you well, want to no i like my answer okay <laughs> well you guys did great i mean this is really interesting because as much as we only talked about lunch and food mostly like we, i feel like i've gotten deep insight into you as a couple do you guys feel properly therapized lunch therapized yes i yeah, think you're very good at this i think we're, thank yeah. you yeah. yeah yeah i don't i don't think i don't think you succeeded in bringing us up so. i never wanted to do that i wanted to bring you closer which i think i have yeah. succeeded in doing have you had craig on have you had your husband on as a guest on lunch therapy and he, used, he used to be he used to do the intro with me and uh, uh people thought he was too domineering <laughs> <laughs> and he That's got his he great. got his feelings hurt and then we stopped doing those intros but he want, he's dying to come on he's like when are you gonna have me as a guest i'm like well you're you're he's like my backup like when somebody cancels last minute right, I'm gonna right, do right. Craig, so i can't just use that i have to wait for the right moment yeah 
That's right. a great reason. Well, you guys, thank you so much for doing this and um, enjoy your meal tonight of veggie burgers and chicken. And uh, I will make you that veggie burger. I'm going to figure it out. I'm gonna, but you. I want to make a patty from scratch, you know, lentil, uh, whatever. Mushroom. Oh, I see. You wanted like a homemade veggie burger. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And then we'll see if I add the beet juice like an impossible burger. Yeah. Oh, you know, you should look up this guy, Kenji Lopez Alt on Serious Eats. I think invented a veggie burger that is on there that looks really good. Oh, okay. Wow. Great. Yeah. That's good to know. Thanks, Adam. All right, you guys. Well, have a great day. And thanks again for doing this. It's so good to see your face. Thanks, Yes, Adam. you too. Thank you. Right. Bye. Happy almost birthday. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.